Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message continues our series on love with our very own evangelist, David Deger Hernandez, in a message entitled, First Love. Enjoy this message. So, Lord, this morning, come and glorify your name. Save, deliver, heal, set free, empower, refresh. Open our eyes to see you in greater measures, Lord. We thank you and we love you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. You can all be seated. Um, I want to thank Pastor Omar again for the opportunity to be here with our wonderful church. Oh, oh you went over there. Okay, I forget. You sit over there. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, our, the team and I are so excited. This, this, just so everyone knows, this is my pastor, Pastor Omar Lopez. And uh, I honor you, sir. Love you. And... and uh, I don't. I, I really. I never take these opportunities for granted here. When, when given the chance to come and minister here, uh, this this is home. And anytime I look around, but the the good thing is, there's a lot of new faces too. I look around, I see familiar faces, but there's a lot of new faces. Great things are happening here. Um, I know some of you might be visiting, but I just want to. I can't say enough good things about this body of believers, this church. Just a tremendously loving and centered group of people you know it's very difficult to find that balance you go some places they're so weird you don't even know where they're getting half their doctrines from and then there's other places they're so dry you don't even know if they love the holy spirit and then there's other places where you go there's that balance it's jesus-centered bible-based spirit-filled and people are real here so this is a good this is a good house you, you found a good place and we're honored i know the team and i are honored we we, 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 we thank God for this family constantly backing us in prayer and support. And again, I just want to emphasize, we don't, we don't take it lightly when we have an opportunity to minister to you. Um, it's our job to serve you this morning. So if you'll allow us, I want to go there now to, let's go to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 38 through 42. And this is the story of Mary and Martha. I want to talk to you this morning about first love. Now, when I talk about first love, what I mean by that term is a love that is totally committed and exclusive for Jesus. I'm talking about a passion for his person, and it really is the differentiating factor in the life of the spirit-filled believer. When you talk about love, yes, we understand that as Christians, we are to be loving to others. Yes, we are to be patient. We are to show the fruits of the spirit. And I think sometimes that we might misunderstand who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And if we're not grounded in this love, we begin to become unstable in every area of life. And we begin to even misunderstand why we're doing what we're doing. And I'm going to touch more on that in a moment. But let's go here to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. First love is the key to getting on fire and staying on fire for God. First love is the key to longevity. You wonder why some people are here for a couple years and then gone. And then you never see them again. And others, it's the annual picnics or the church Christmas dinners or they're in and out and in and out. And it's like an election cycle. Every four years, they make an appearance and then they're gone. And what that is, that inconsistency comes about because they're not firmly planted 
in what this is really all about. They haven't caught that revelation yet. They haven't caught that glimpse of who he is and how who he is should impact who they are. So let's go to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, Dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken from her. So here we see the Lord Jesus coming into the home of Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary are both thrilled to welcome him for a dinner. They're thrilled to welcome him for fellowship. And Mary is sitting down conversing with Jesus while Martha is running around doing all of the work. Now this upsets Martha. Martha says to the Lord, Lord, doesn't it bother you that I'm back here preparing all of this this, this, this work, I'm doing all of this work, I'm preparing this meal, I'm busy, I'm working, yet she's here not helping me, leaving it all to me. And Jesus doesn't say to Mary, Mary, you know what, you're right. you know, Martha, you're right. Mary, why don't you get up, go help her, and then you can come back and talk with me in a few minutes. No, what Jesus says is, Martha, you're concerned with so many little details, and that's good in and of itself. But Mary has discovered something and this is all she really needs. And all she really needs is never really going to be taken from her. Jesus didn't rebuke Martha for doing work. He corrected her for not recognizing that he was in the room. Now, there are many different things we can see in this portion of Scripture revealed concerning our fellowship and relationship with the Lord. One thing we see is that Martha was doing something good. She wasn't doing something that anyone would have considered a sin. And think about the fact that it was both Martha and Mary who welcomed the Lord into their homes. So there were people who at the time were rejecting Jesus. They were haters of Jesus. They wanted to crucify Jesus. But Mary and Martha opened their home, welcomed him in, and they're tending to him. Yet Martha missed something. Martha was unable to see the opportunity that was before her. And I think this represents to us two different types of Christians. Some are Marys and some are Marthas. Now, when I first got saved, and this was at the age of 11 at a Bible conference, I got saved. I remember committing my life to Jesus, wanting to know everything about him, reading the scripture not to fulfill some obligation and check off some task on my spiritual list, but I dove into the scripture because I wanted to see Jesus with greater clarity. I wanted to know everything I possibly could about him. It was a Jesus obsession. And this is the difference between true Christianity and cultural Christianity. This is the difference between Christianity with depth and Christianity with superficiality. Superficial Christianity and true and deep Christianity are, 
are different from one another simply by whether or not the individual understands what it is to love Jesus. Because some embrace Christianity as some political ideology. Some embrace Christianity like it's a nice decoration on their lives, something to polish themselves up with. Some embrace Christianity as if it's a 12-step program, just something to help get my life together and keep it together. And maybe in the back of your mind, there might even be some doubt as to whether or not you truly believe what the Bible teaches or not. But you like it as a culture. You like it as something to do. Perhaps it's seen as something to help center the family, Sunday morning service with the family. We all hear a nice, encouraging message, then we go home and we're really nice to each other. But deep down inside... There is this neglect of what it truly is to be a follower of Jesus. No, it's not just something to decorate your life with. No, it's not just something to embrace as a nice idea or philosophy, a guiding truth, a principle that will help to guide your family. No, it's not just something that will maybe make your life a little bit better. Christianity at its core is trust in and love for the person of Jesus. Christians, by definition, are Jesus freaks. Obsessed with the person of Jesus. You love him. Yes, you can talk about the music and the worship. Yes, you can talk about how encouraging messages are. Yes, you can talk about how great the children's church program is, how well your life is adjusting because of the new principles that you're now implementing into your spirituality. But do you know and love the person of Jesus? That's really what it's all about. And what ends up happening is we begin to oscillate between two different extremes in Christianity. On one side, there is liberal Christianity. And by that, I mean anything you want to do, you can do. Anything goes. You believe it, that's fine. Well, I'm not convicted about it. Maybe I can do it. Well, I don't really see the problem with it, so that's okay. Well, you know, I like the Bible, but there's some parts that, eh, well, I'll just lean on my own understanding to interpret the things that just don't seem right to me liberal Christianity. The Bible is filled with not commands, but suggestions. And maybe you think they didn't quite get it right. And maybe there are some things that you take in, other things that you filter out and say, well, this is good. That's a little extreme. Guys, Jesus is all or nothing. Either he's Lord or he isn't. And this is liberal Christianity. But then on the other side... We don't have liberalism. I'm not talking about in the political sense. I mean in the philosophical sense. It's just liberal. On the other side of liberalism is the extreme of legalism. This is where many believers get caught in this overbearing, heavy weight that they have to carry around with them. Constantly worrying that the next mistake they make might be the one that causes them to lose their salvation. Not really trusting in the finished work of the cross, but trusting more so in your ability to punish yourself mentally for the things that you've done wrong. And on the side of legalism, there are things like guilt and poverty mindset and works-based gospel, thinking that 
everything that you do is contributing to your salvation, not realizing that you didn't do anything to earn your salvation in the first place. That's legalism. I have to fulfill a certain criteria or, or I have to be good enough in order to experience God's saving power. Legalism denies the true gospel because the true gospel isn't that if you're good enough, God will save you. The true gospel is that because God has saved you, he's made you good enough. And so legalism neglects this this grace, it neglects the finished work of the cross. It, it produces people who are filled with fear. Legalism says things like, well, don't tell them too much about grace because then they'll go on sinning. Well, Paul talked about grace to such a degree that he had to correct what they might misunderstand in saying, does this mean that we should go on sinning? That's how, that's how, that's how well he communicated it. So there's legalism. And the problem is that believers go back and forth between the two. So when I first got saved, I remember I leaned more toward legalism. I thought that, that, that any, any bad thought, any mistake, that was it. I lost my salvation and God distanced himself. As if, as if God would be a million miles away and that every sin I committed, oh, now I'm further. Now I'm further. Now I'm further. Not realizing at the time that... He's the only hope we have of overcoming any wrongdoing in our life. So does it make sense for God to say as a punishment for not being holy, I'm going to remove from you the power to be holy? That's nonsense. But I believed it. Fearful. Ministry wasn't something I did because I wanted to help serve. It was something I did because I thought if I didn't, I'd be in big trouble. Couldn't read enough of the Bible. I would read 30 to 40 chapters a day and still feel guilty for not reading enough. I would pray four to eight hours a day and then still feel guilty for not praying enough. Thinking that my spirituality came about by some accumulative effect, that I had to pile enough good things before I could reach God. The Bible says our good works, our righteousness... That's like filthy rags. It doesn't mean anything. And so Christians go back and forth between being tormented by every little thing to having no conviction about anything. And some stay on either side, trapped in a never-ending cycle of their own deception, not realizing that there's a greater way to live. You see, Martha, I believe, though her intentions were good, represents to us this, this legalism. This is why Christians tire out. Well, who wants to work for their salvation the rest of their life? Who wants to live in the constant fear of maybe not getting it right? They give up the pleasures of the world and of sin and then no guarantee? Some might say, well, I'm probably going to mess up anyway. I've heard it said that when you teach people about the grace of God, that it encourages them to sin, I dare say that the opposite is true as well. You don't balance it on the other extreme. People say, well, what is the point then? I'm not going to make it. And it produces one of two types of believers, the legalistic believer or the liberal believer. Neither live to their fullest capacity. 
Jesus said to Martha, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. What a statement. One thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. What did she discover? She discovered the love of Jesus. In between the extremes of liberalism and legalism is the balance, the centeredness, the foundation of love. It is a love for God that balances both issues. You see, on the side of legalism, you may have what you think is holiness, but what you really have is a set of rules and regulations that you're keeping while also simultaneously living with no joy, no peace. You're grumpy, you're mean, and people think that Christians are mean because of legalistic Christians. And people look at that and go, I don't want that. That looks like a life of misery. Why? Because religion says you have to earn. So in order to earn the salvation of your sin, you have to live a life of punishment in order to gain it. Keeps you poor, keeps you depressed, keeps you paranoid, and it produces this deep-seated anger in you that's actually self-hatred, which is why religious people can't love others. Well, didn't Jesus say to love others as you love yourself? How can you love others if you don't love yourself? And it's this frustration with yourself and you're trapped in your own humanity and you can't escape. That's what produces that anger. And on the other side, you have the liberal Christian. Yeah, they have peace. But it's like a drunkard playing on the train tracks. Just peace about it. No worries. Impending doom, oh, no worries. The wrath of God storing up, oh, no worries. Preaching on holiness, oh, don't be legalistic. Legalism is the label that liberal Christians give to preachers who preach true holiness. Don't tell me about my sin. I, well, God is love. He'll cover it up. God, see, see and, and that, that, that may feel right, It may seem sound, but the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. And it feels proper. Well, yeah, this this feels like love would feel, right? No rules, no boundaries. Try, Try doing that in a marriage. No rules, no boundaries. You can do what you want. Go where you please. And so... You may have peace or a form of it, but there's no power. Only love for Jesus can balance the extremes of both sides of humanity in such a way that it produces true power, true longevity, true spiritual depth. Love for Jesus. Some of us are like Martha. Busy, busy, busy for him, never spending time with him. Not realizing that the power to do for him comes 
from sitting with him? Why are you tired? Why are you bored? Why are you weary? Why do you feel like it's a cycle of never-ending work? Why do you feel like quitting? Why are you hanging by a thread? Why is your spiritual life dying? Why are you mentally, emotionally drained? It's because you're doing it out of work, obligation, and not out of love. You ever seen newlyweds? The way they do things for each other, they'll drive long distances, or even someone who just begins dating, they'll do the long distance drive, the long distance calls, talk hours and hours. That's not an obligation. That's out of love. I mean, think about that. The fact that you could spend hours on the phone, drive an hour. Have you you seen the power of a long distance relationship? It's, it's, It's like... The gas costs nothing. Doesn't matter. I don't care what the fuel costs are. The, and, and then, and then, a forty-five minute drive. But you know, while I'm driving, I'm going to be talking to you on the phone while I'm driving to you. What? What is that? But you, you tell them they got to do that to go to the DMV. You tell them they got to do that for some birthday party from some secondhand relative they don't even talk to. All of a sudden, well, that's a long distance. See, see, you only count the cost when you're not blinded by love. And so we, we, we have these senses of obligation, this pressure to perform. Why, why even have that when it can flow naturally from love? Do you know why church feels like an obligation? Do you know why prayer feels like an obligation. Reading the word, evangelizing, living holy, volunteering in ministry, helping one another, forgiving that person who hurt you, working on your character. Do you know why it feels like an obligation? Because that fire of your love is dwindling. It's becoming an ember. It's weakening. The way to come back to this, the way to reignite this love is by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 says, And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives you this love for Jesus. Matthew 22, 36-40 says this, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Now this is what the Bible says here. Listen to what he says. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. In other words, in fulfilling love, I fulfill automatically all of the commands. Well, if I love you, am I going to murder you? If I love you, am I going to steal from you? 
If I love you, am I going to be envious of you or happy for you? If I love God, am I going to worship others? If I love God, am I going to put him first? It's the love for that produces the work and the ability. It's that love that fuels you from the inside out. See, we tire people out when we try to get them to work before they learn to love. Come in and do this, do this, do this. Do. Oh, now you're producing in the kingdom of God. Yes, they may be producing for the kingdom, but inwardly they're tiring because they don't understand the why. Holiness flows naturally from the love of God. Why would I want to hurt the one who I love? Not because of what legalism says, some fear of punishment or hell. And I don't live like liberalism says because I actually acknowledge that there's a standard, there are boundaries in this relationship I have with God. But love tells me not to live holy because I'm afraid. Love tells me not to live holy because I'm afraid of some punishment. Not out of some sense of obligation, but simply because I love him so much, I don't want to hurt him. I want to serve in the church because I love his name. I love his message. I love his cause. I love his people. You see, this is where it flows from. I love him first. That first love flows through me by the Holy Spirit. And not only do I begin to love him, but actually it produces a love for others too. But how can you love others if you don't love God? It's just not possible. You can like others to a certain degree. But that true, selfless, divine love only comes from Him. And so we have to be rid of this idea that Christianity is a decoration on our lives. That it's a culture or something nice to gather the family around. Jesus is not in addition to, he's instead of. Jesus is not a priority, he is the priority. Number one, all in all, master, Lord, Savior, God, King, friend, he is all. And in knowing him and loving him in this way, the fruits of Christianity are produced automatically. You don't have to work for fruit. You just need to abide. What did he say? Abide. And then you'll bear fruit. They say, produce the fruit. No, just abide. You wouldn't even know how to produce it. Just abide. What was Mary doing? She was abiding. In different seasons of your life, you will move back and forth between a Martha and a Mary. Because we have the tendency to drift. We have the tendency to veer off course. We have the tendency to begin to lose perspective. Revelation 2, 1-7 through says this. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Ephesus. So here we see that this is 
to the church in Ephesus. This is not necessarily something that was written to everyone, but the universal application we will see in the spiritual principles that we find. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. He says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say there are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Good job. He's commending that. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Have we lost our obsession with God? Have we lost the wonder of who He is? Have we lost our focus? Have we lost our sense of self? Have we lost our proper order of priority? Fires of the Holy Ghost stirring in you by the word, a new love for his person. But let me ask you, do you love him as you first did? Really think about this. Do you love him as you first did? When you were saved, not only did you love him completely, not only did you prioritize him unapologetically, but that love, that wonder produced this faith for the radical belief that God could do anything. Do you still believe that or... Have the years and years and years of seemingly unanswered prayers, hardship, have those things weakened your faith? When we begin to lose that fire, when we begin to see that flame dying out, there's only one answer. And that is to surrender again the things that we've taken up. That is to surrender again our lives, to lay our lives down and say, Lord, you are in charge. You are the priority. When was the last time you put something on the cross for Jesus? When was the last time you laid something at the altar? When was the last time you had to make a sacrifice because you were saying yes to the Lord? When was the last time you said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done? When was the last time you were uncomfortable because of a step of faith? When was the last time you felt a little embarrassed because maybe you were a little too radical 
in sharing about him? Does that love still flow from you? Can people still see it in your eyes when you talk about Jesus? Can they still hear it in your voice when you're pleading with them to be saved? What happened to your holiness? What happened to your prayer life? What happened to your devotion to the Word? What happened to your worship? What happened to your evangelism? What happened to your commitment? I'll tell you. It comes back to that first love. Do you remember when you first found Jesus? Or do you remember when he first found you? You were hopeless, weighed down, confused, stuck in sin. Translated you, the scripture says, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He snatched you up and rescued you. Do you remember those days? Oh my goodness, you couldn't wait to get into the church and be with God's people. You couldn't wait. Oh, three night revival. Why can't they? preaching on that again? Well, I'll hear it again. This, this hunger, this expect you, you would sit there with your Bible and your pen and your notepad and say, what's God going to say to me today as the preacher talks? There was this excitement in the air. There was this electric, electric atmosphere. It was, it was life. It was vibrancy. It was vitality. There was a newness. prophets. Oh, there's a prophet who's going to... Now it's... Well, let's see what this guy has to say. You didn't even know the worship songs. You were singing the wrong words, but you were singing them loudly. Oh, your hands were lifted. You didn't know the words, but your tears were flowing. You, 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 you said, well, any way I can help, I, I'll, I'll do it. And then there was a part of you that said, they've got to know. People have got to know. They've got to know about this hope, this love. And there was this, I have to tell the world mentality. No compromise. You didn't want anything affecting your conscience or your time with Jesus. is a fire if you want to make it grow you have to feed it something something has to be put on the altar in your life because that fire didn't just go out something killed it something weakened it whatever it was that weakened it 
That needs to go on the altar. That needs to be surrendered. There's this opportunity that the Holy Spirit gives to us every day to say yes to Jesus and no to self. We have to start saying yes to Jesus again. And so we come to this place now this morning where you've really got to let the Lord examine your heart. Say, Lord, why was it that back then there were certain things I wouldn't look at, I wouldn't say, places I wouldn't go, and people thought me strange? Sadly, now you're no longer strange. You blend right in. Oh, Lord, let there be a rekindling as only the Holy Spirit can do. If you will simply surrender, he will empower you. If you will build the altar, he'll send the fire. But it's a renewal, it's commitment, it's every day, every day saying, Jesus, I choose you, Jesus, I choose you, Jesus, I choose you. So if you're ready to say no, I don't care what it is. I want that fire in my heart to grow. Maybe you've got an ember and you're barely, barely hanging on. Maybe you feel like quitting. The scripture tells us, let me turn there now. I'm going to read this scripture to you and then we'll. Scripture tells us in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy to even be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. fresh baptism of the fire of God again. Fresh touch of his love. You know, the thing about Jesus, and this is what I love about him, one of the things, he doesn't just help those who are willing. He helps those who are willing to be willing. And if you're that far gone, he'll help you if you're willing to be willing to be willing. You see, he'll use whatever measure of surrender you give and he'll move on that surrender. So some of you are going to have to leave your ego in your seats. But that's something you can leave behind you. Others, your fear, leave it in your seats. Others, compromise, leave it in your seats. You're ready to leave it behind and say, Lord, I want, I want, whether it's an ember or whether it's a flame, Lord, I want an inferno. I want you to ignite that passion again and I don't want it to die I don't want it to die Lord 
then I want you to stand up and come stand at this altar, please, right now. Don't wait to see how many people respond. Don't worry if we don't think you're spiritual. Don't worry if you're trying... See, see, some of us, we stay in our seats because we're trying to hold together this image of, well, I got it together. I am spiritual. I'm walking with God as I should be. But that's precisely what keeps you from going to the next level is that pride. And I'm not saying everyone is calling called to this altar, but there are some who are staying in their seats because they want to be perceived as having it all together. Don't let that be you. You want God to touch your life. Stand to your feet. Come down to this altar. God wants to touch you. It's that love for Jesus. Love for Jesus. one thing from you. He wants one thing from you. I think sometimes we we get our list together, right? Of all the ways we got it wrong, all the flaws we have to fix, all the duties and obligations we have to fulfill, and it becomes just this overwhelming experience of trying to make ourselves acceptable to God. God doesn't want you to fulfill that list. He wants you to throw that list away. I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta pray for this long and read the Bible for that. Throw that list away. He wants one thing. He wants your love. And out of that love, holiness comes, prayer comes, devotion to the word. But if you try to do those things before, you're gonna end up with religion. He wants one thing from And out of this one thing will flow everything. Worship will flow. A love for the word will be produced. A love for prayer. A love for others. A love for evangelism. A love to serve. You will see your character changing. 
you will see your nature transforming. You will see things begin to lose grip on your life. Old habits, old character flaws, old mentalities. Why? Because of this one thing. Stop trying to fulfill the list. Stop trying to be good enough. And do this one thing. Just love Jesus. Truly love Him. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.